0: Welcome to Light of the World. It is great to have you, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are back. Uh, We've we've taken a little hiatus, but we're back with a very special guest today. Um, Not too long ago, as I have been serving as a senior pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Irvine, now meeting at Concordia University at the Spectrum Campus, um, we had a guest who has continued to Uh, bless us in fellowship and worshiping with us, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, a young lady by the name of Catherine Velasquez, who is a student at Concordia University, Irvine. And she has come to us that we can discuss uh, what she has experienced in her life and how the Lord brought her to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to talk about her background And it's a background that I think you'll be very interested in because it's a background that many, many people in our culture in the United States of America can relate to. And it's a background, I'm going to let her uh, let the cat out of the bag, but uh, that background uh, you might find to be one that you're challenged as a Christian to respond to. Uh, What do I say when I encounter this background? And so uh, I feel really blessed in welcoming Catherine Velasquez to uh, Light of the World. And uh, Catherine, we're so glad you've joined us. Um, it's been a real pleasure serving you. And I, I just love your joy in the Lord, your intellect, um, the way you love the Word of God, um, the, the way you carry around um, the original Koine Greek with you as you study the New <laughs> Testament, which is a delight to talk to you about. Catherine and I, before the show started, were just talking about the kenosis in Philippians chapter two, about how Christ emptied himself Mm -hmm. from the original language perspective. These are the kinds of things that we'll talk about sometimes. But Catherine, I want to thank you for coming because uh, I understand that you would like to share with our listeners some of your past experience. Would you tell us about your spiritual background and where you've been in your life in terms of faith or not faith and Please tell us about it.
1: Yeah, well, in terms of spirituality, um, the entire concept of spirituality of religion is just so foreign to me. In fact, I I came to Christ just last summer, the summer of 2022. Wow. um, And never in a million years growing up did I ever think that I would become a Christian. Um, did I ever think I would believe in God and I always tell people that though it f- feels so foreign I also feel like um, I've been in Christ for my entire life right um, I feel like Christ has been there in every fabric of my being um, you know ever since he formed me in the womb yeah. and there might be a reason for that so
0: wow yeah. That's so beautiful, mm-hmm. if I may, because in Acts 17, as Paul is speaking to the Greeks at the Areopagus, he says to them in accord with what their poets, their own poets had written, mm-hmm. uh, in him, that is Christ, mm-hmm. we live and move and have our being. Mm-hmm. And this is true whether or not a person acknowledges him. Right. And, and then he says right. to his people who come to faith at any point that they are among the elect Mm-hmm. who were chosen before the foundation of the world yeah. so what you're saying is absolutely fascinating it really resonates with the scriptures yeah. so even though at one point you know just you weren't actively believing in god you never thought you'd be in this position you are yeah. today and yet you can look at that's your life amazing. in toto as being in christ yeah. that's fantastic
1: yeah and even considering jesus's last words on the cross to right? That yeah. is the um believe it's the perfect tense or basically there's this idea that it is finished, something has been completed. The per- perfect yeah. tense represents like a completed yes. action. Yeah. And so when we think about, well, when is the kingdom gonna come? It's that paradox between yes and not yet because right. The redemption of all of the elect chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ was sealed as soon as he uttered those words. Amen. Um,
0: This is coming from the lips of someone who's been a Christian for a whopping one year. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it is finished, to tell us, never to be repeated again.
1: Never to be repeated again. The
0: once and for all sacrifice for all people, done. And at that point, um, in this objective sense your sins were covered by the blood of Christ. He paid for all of them 2,000 years ago on a mm-hmm. hill outside the city gates of Jerusalem. Yeah. That's exciting. And you also mentioned the, the now of receiving Christ mm-hmm. in a living faith. And you also mentioned the not yet yeah, which will be the manifestation in glory of mm-hmm. what He has already done for us Absolutely. since before the foundation of the world.
1: Right, right. <laughs> and
2: so so yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So what? What was? I mean, how would you? How would you describe or characterize? your status uh, growing up. And I understand there really wasn't this notion of spirituality or believing in God. Mm -hmm. How would you describe that state of being?
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) my parents definitely didn't raise me to be that way, so Mm -hmm. my parents actually are not atheists. My parents do believe in God and do believe in some sort of universal moral code that comes with believing in God, but um, unfortunately, I was not raised in the church. Um, You couldn't find a Bible necessarily laying around in my house. Um, Mm -hmm. The gospel was not um, shared with me, and I just sort of grew up in a very much um, secular household with perhaps the quiet acknowledgement that there is a man upstairs um, who cares somewhat to a certain extent about what we do not quite um deism but um definitely not the gospel of christ um either
0: there was definitely atheism there
1: was
2: definitely there um, is a god yeah
0: and a sense of a moral code, yeah, which is very consistent with what Scripture teaches in Romans chapter two. Yes, that all people have been given this natural knowledge mm-hmm. that does uh, consist of a conscience that's active and recognizing right and wrong. Yeah. So your 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 loving parents uh, definitely mm-hmm. had that. Yeah. But as you were growing up with that kind of generalist uh, perspective. Mm-hmm you were not in the word of god you did not know the gospel no and where did that take you as you got older
2: um
1: well my dad you know he does believe in god and you know i love him so very much because he is probably the best person i know um he takes such wonderful care of me And I remember praying one night, you know, Paul says in Romans 9 that I could wish to be accursed for the sake of my brethren, referring to the fellow Jews. And I certainly believe that about my dad. And so for a certain period in our life, he tried taking us to the local Catholic church, right? We would just stand in the back of the church and we would leave um, halfway because we weren't allowed to... um, receive the Eucharist, not being like confirmed members or regular Catholics or anything. But he did try. And of course, my dad is Hispanic. And so, um,
0: I like him more already.
1: <laughs> oh my God. <gosh>, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. You're you're describing a loving father, yeah. and and your love for him reciprocated yeah. in the way you've prayed, and mm-hmm. and then his um, taking you to church, yeah. uh, obviously led by that moral inclination, his belief yes. in God, yes. and yeah. wanted you to be blessed in that experience.
1: Yeah, he he really did want me um, to believe in God, but you know as soon as I was old enough to kind of reason these things out, um, Mm -hmm. I remember just leaving the Catholic church and saying, and I must've been in elementary school at that point. I don't believe in God. I don't Mm -hmm. believe in God. Um, and we can think about, you know, why that is, you know, I've always struggled with this sort of intellectual superiority, right? Because (laughs) when I was little, I couldn't find my identity in Christ for I did not know Christ. Um, And so when the human has this restlessness in their heart, um, Kierkegaard would probably refer to it as the sickness unto death, and I'm not going to get into Kierkegaard or anything, but basically when humans don't acknowledge that a fundamental part of their identity is the relationship with the divine because we are both eternal and temporal beings, Mm -hmm. there becomes this tension. And so there's a temptation to find our identities in something else. And so that's what I did as a child, right? Um, And so I found this um, identity and my ability to get perfect grades or my intellectualism. And I also lived in a culture which stated, well, atheism is the more elevated and intellectual worldview, right? And so I think that's probably the reason that even though I didn't know anything about um, philosophical arguments for the existence of God, I was able to so boldly say, well, I don't believe in God. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in God.
0: Your um, summary is sublime to me. um, You mentioned Kierkegaard. You also reminded me of Augustine. In fact, um, before our show started, not only were we discussing Philippians chapter two, but we were also discussing a little bit of Epicurus and uh, Augustine, yeah. and I mentioned Augustine's quote that our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee, mm-hmm. and you're you're beautifully describing this dissonance which exists. It's this this void that has to be filled with something mm-hmm. that all people are aware of and try to do something about right. Uh, right. to establish identity, our, our place in this universe. Yeah and you were you found handles at the time uh, in intellectualism mm-hmm. and i i also love what you said you you uh you perceived that the culture was affirming of that yeah because in many instances indeed there is this perpetuation of this idea that um, atheism is the more objective position. Mm-hmm. It's the more intelligent position, yeah. and I mean that makes you pretty feel pretty good right. when you're you're resting on that. So you had um, kind of uh, evolved from the um, the the good fertile ground of, of parents who believed in God, mm-hmm. your dad who was taking you to church, but. Evolved to this position of bona fide atheism. <laughs> I saying, I do not believe in God. And yeah. it doesn't sound as if this was a vindictive thing. No. It's just something that I'm not buying it and I'm going to buy something else. Right. Okay. Right. Well, what was that like when you were in that stage?
1: Yeah. So growing up, I just didn't necessarily think too much um, about religion. It's almost like you're you're living in this blissful ignorance, right? I didn't think very much about religion um, when I did think about eternity, because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that we have eternity written on our hearts, so it's only natural that a human should think about eternity. I just kind of thought the same thing that Epicurus thought, that, or that Stephen Hawking even kind of reflects that, you know, I am afraid of death, but it's kind of like the same state you are when you're not being born. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I just haven't experienced that. And so therefore, um, I'm not really going to fear death. Um, and so it's not necessarily that I spent all my time as some atheists do, um, kind of deconstructing religion and deconstructing God, because at that point, I had not necessarily been hurt at all by religion, right? Yeah. Um, It's more that I kind of just lived in this secular sphere where um, I thought that God was not someone who was important enough to concern me, right? Right. Um, I thought that it was a safe assumption that God ultimately was just a human creation who, as Nietzsche said, could just be killed in the same Mm -hmm. way as we created him.
0: Mm -hmm. This is uh, very good. Um, It it helps us become, as Christians, more aware of a basic rationale uh, as to why one would hold that worldview. And it's extremely popular, I mean, at all levels. When I was a student at Concordia University, when it was still Christ College, Irvine, uh, one of my mentors and the president of Christ College, um, uh, Charles Mansky, Reverend Dr. Charles Mansky, mm-hmm. um, he was the one who kind of turned me in, turned me on to studying the culture as well as sacred theology. Mm-hmm. He would go to concerts and just observe the culture mm-hmm. and what people were listening to and hearing. Yeah. And I have done the same thing. I'm a student of culture as well as sacred theology. Um, I love music. I, I listen to um, a very broad swath of music, mm-hmm. um, including the classical composer that you recently introduced me to. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I was I was revisiting a, a famous uh, kind of pop pop group um, whose moral they're, they're not known for their moral rectitude. Um, but they they sing a song in which they're presenting this worldview mm-hmm. that enter, and they, they say it in the song, in the introduction of the song, that energy is neither created nor destroyed. And it's a perpetuation of Greek philosophy of our atoms that just always are yeah. in this universe that always is. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of a brute fact. That's just the way it is. (laughs) And we came from all of that stuff before we were born, and we're going to go back to that stuff after we die, and there you go. Um, But in also looking at that, I I also appreciate the fact that when you were describing where you were, were, that you had not been hurt by religion or anything like that. I think that's also an important point to our listeners Mm -hmm. because the atheists that I have encountered might be put in one of two um, categories for the sake of understanding or perspective. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: One is the intellectual atheist who really has thought about their position and has come about this at the atomization of of the Greeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or an emotional atheist who perhaps was once a believer or even a Christian who did not have a mature view of the faith. And for example, they had a loved one who was dying. And they Mm -hmm. prayed to God and they begged God to save their loved one. And when God didn't do that, they were so emotionally devastated, they decided to say, I'm not believing in you anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's also that emotional atheism out there. But yours was akin to the intellectual atheism. And it's almost as if you were kind of just kind of satisfied with that, Mm -hmm. that this is the way it is and that's okay. And I'll fill the void, so to speak, Mm -hmm. by pursuing my intellectual growth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that I did, and going back to Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard describes people in this intellectual atheism when referring to the sickness unto death, when referring to this sort of despair that comes with separation from God, it's almost like we don't experience the full extent of our despair. Because we're not coming face to face with the problem of sin. We're not even acknowledging the problem of sin. Um, But then the problem of sin, of course, it isn't just going to go away. Um, And so we just try and fill that void, as you said, um, through worldly passions. Um, As Kierkegaard says, um, it's kind of like, you know, putting little Hello Kitty Band-Aids on the deep wound um, that is our despair mm. and, you know, pursue intellectualism, I did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I do believe that, you know, God in his providence and his sovereignty works in very mysterious ways. Amen. Um, and I loved music and I loved music history. And that was the primary um, intellectual path that I pursued throughout my my teen years right um, yeah. I, I learned the violin even though I was kind of a late starter because I didn't get to taking lessons until I was 14 or 15 um, and I also grew to love music history and listening to classical music and stuff
0: how um, wonderful I and and you were experiencing beauty yeah. you were experiencing. Yeah. God's gifts and it's Mm -hmm. interesting that he was actively exposing you to these things and already his mercy being expressed towards you. I I was getting little nudges that uh, I should ask you to join us on this podcast and as I continue to talk to Catherine right now everybody I'm being reminded as to why the Lord led me to ask her to come on. You, You said something very profound. I know you were referring to Kierkegaard but your own thoughts kind of you know further elaborating it is so true that a lack of the depth of, uh, of an understanding of what sin is, mm-hmm. is interestingly enough, something that is not good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it might seem like it'd be a good thing for us. You know, well, who wants to talk about sin? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so such a negative thing, you yeah. know, such a, um, a an idea that is so, so self-effacing and, again, negative. But you raise a great point because when we do understand the depths of the reality of sin, Mm -hmm. then we truly begin to see that we need a savior.
1: Absolutely.
0: And what you said in in bringing that out also reminds me why it's easy to treat the law at the moralistic level. Mm -hmm. That it's just about being a moral or ethical guide.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It is certainly that, uh, especially for the born again Christian, yeah. but it's much more than that. The law runs much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, in God's word in Romans three, yes. uh, verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Mm-hmm. Rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. When the Holy Spirit permits us to handle the law properly, to see our true mm-hmm. sin condition, as much despair as that might raise in us god is actually being merciful yeah so that we would see our need finally for a savior yeah and he's ready to say i have sent him for you
1: yeah yeah god wants you to to be at that point where it's like you're staying, standing on the edge of a cliff right yeah i there there's this this holy god right who came down as a man, um, that the perfect sacrificial lamb, the most beautiful man who ever lived. Um, and yet willingly and resolutely walked that cross and, and you realize I'm going to have to stand before that God and he's going to judge every thought and every intention of my heart, right? Everything is going to be exposed and brought out into the open. Yeah. Um, and that it, it just hits you like, a ton of bricks, and it is incredibly painful, but that's really the point um, God wants us at because yeah. um, it's from that, that depth, right? I actually own a Puritan prayer book called The Valley of Vision. It's from that, that depth, that valley, yeah. um, when we're just lying down and looking at God's light. Um, that That's where He wants us because...
0: That's a good place to be.
1: It's a good place to be because then... Um, repentance um, and faith in God, it it, it can be all the more savored, right?
0: Jesus says more than once in the Gospels that he who is humbled shall be exalted. Mm -hmm. So we who are made low in seeing our weakness and our inability to save ourselves are put in a position to receive his active intervention Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that which lifts us up, that we would look up and see that he is not a God
2: mm-hmm.
0: to uh, condemn,
2: yeah.
0: but he is a God who welcomes. This is the, the God who says, come unto me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest.
2: Right.
0: Now, as you were speaking, it occurred to me that some people might think that all of a sudden we've introduced the leap <laughs> because you were talking about your intellectualism, Yeah. but now you have boldly professed the God who took on flesh. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, have you put your intellect in a closet? What, what, what,
2: how,
0: how can you say this so confidently?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you had asked me two years ago, I simply would have said that it's a, a silly story, um, made up by a particular people group in a particular culture at a particular time. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, shortly before, um, God really started leading me to himself. I was having a conversation with a former friend of mine um, who was raised in China and she was a theist and she actually did believe in some sort of afterlife or reincarnation um, based off of the the Chinese religions and based off of some literature she had read. Um, And I was like, well, that would be nice and well if um, (laughs) that were the case. But, you know, I, I... simply said in my heart well the fool says in his heart that there was no God we can get to sin the sin problem later but I'm just saying that at that time I just said in my heart well I I can't believe that there's I'm sorry there's no evidence for that if it would be cool if there were an afterlife but we need to be real um about this world and I thought there was no afterlife um but praise be to God I, I wasn't gonna think that for very long Um, I said at the beginning of this podcast that I never would have thought in a million years that I would have become a Christian. It just wasn't on my radar. I just didn't see it as a legitimate um, worldview. Um, But um, there came a time in my life um, a couple of years ago um, where I was suffering from a disorder where I was later diagnosed Um, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Um, And one night I was just trying to avoid um, doing compulsions (laughs) because I knew that they weren't good for me. And so I was reading a book about my favorite composer. And I said earlier on that um, my main intellectual pursuit was music and music history. Yes. Um, And I'd been listening to this composer, Anton Bruckner, since I was 14 years old, actually um so i had loved this composer for such a long time and of course i wanted to know more about him and so i was reading a biography of this composer <laughs> um and as i was reading the pages um, it talked a lot about his resolute faith in god right oh. he spent his whole life um celibate and it's often caricatured in such a way that, Oh, he just was too awkward to ever find a wife. He just was ever too too weird to find a wife. And yes, he did have a struggle, but it amazed me that at one point in his life, he actually had a love affair. Um, but due to his Catholic faith, actually he had a love affair with the Lutheran. He, he resisted marriage. Um, even though, um, he He had been wanting it for his entire life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so his faith meant a lot to him, and um you know, as Protestants, there are some who accuse roman our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters of not being in Christ, but mm. um that that's simply simply not true i know
0: many who very yeah. much are <laughs> yeah who, who
1: very who very much are yeah. um that's if i if i may profess that's simply not true um Bruckner had a resolute faith and this mm-hmm. ag- amazing acknowledgement of dependence on his god um like johann sebastian bach um, his musical forefather and the musical forefather of you know all the composers who were to come after him he was a wonderful organ improviser, um, like one of the best of his day.
0: An evangelist <laughs> um, <laughs> through his music. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: Bach is called like the fifth evangelist right. um, or something, um, his his two passions yeah. are like stunningly amazing works. I mean, mm. listeners, if you have an interest in music and you get the chance, I do highly recommend, um, look up the text to the passion. Um, like it's like, he uses, I believe, Lutheran hymns that were common that would have been common to the congregation. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he also uses these wonderful little poems. I wish I could quote them, but I'm just saying like, they're absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, but that, that aside, so Bruckner like Bach was very good at improvising at the organ. Mm -hmm. And every time he would do that, he would just pray and people, Describe this prayer, um, not necessarily as a mysticism, because when we think mysticism, we think of, um, you know, people like Catherine of Siena or Hildegard of Bingen, who um, claimed to have received, and I, I'm not saying that they didn't, right. I don't know, but
0: this was their theological, but this emphasis. Was their
1: theological emphasis on mm-hmm. the, these visions. You know, yeah. Bruckner wasn't a mystic, but the biographers could tell that when he he prayed, he he was not focusing on the things of the world, right? Mm-hmm. He he was consecrating himself um to the Lord. But perhaps the greatest um example of Bruckner's dependence on God. And the reason I brought up the organ example is because, you know, Bruckner, like St. Paul kind of reflects in Philippians three, had every reason to boast in the flesh, right? Right. He, he was one of the greatest composers of all time, um, yeah. and yet he he knew that he could not do any of it without the help of the Lord. Um, but going on to his Ninth Symphony, um, he, he wrote to a friend, well, I've de- dedicated all of my symphonies, you know, as was the custom at the time to, to earthly Kings, but now it's, it's time to dedicate it to the King of Kings. My beloved God, beloved God. Right. So, so God wasn't just this distant figure in his life. This, this idea that he held intellectually, but a friend, a savior that had accompanied him throughout his life, throughout his work, throughout all the trials that he had faced. Um, And so he dedicated his ninth and his last symphony to his beloved God. And he prayed that he would be able to finish the symphony, but he wasn't able to finish the finale. And so Mm -hmm. we're actually left with three movements. So for those who aren't familiar with classical music, the symphony usually has four movements. um, Mm -hmm. And we're left with three of those movements. And so very unusually for a symphony, it just, ends on the adagio, the slow movement. It doesn't have this triumphant fortissimo, fortissimo. Mm. climax or right. finale. Right. Um, and although Bruckner may not have intended it that way, I believe that God did intend it that way because there's something about that music that God used to, to tear the veil off of the eyes of my heart. Right. Um, he used he he put his his light, which eclipsed the darkness of my heart, um, using that music. Um, and I have a wonderful quotation that emphasizes this Good. so much better than I could have. And I I really want to share this. Please do um, with everybody because it's so amazing. Um, so it reads: Bruckner has been called. Der Musikant Gottes, God's own musician. And it has been said that each of his symphonies is, in reality, one gigantic arc, which starts on earth in the midst of suffering humanity, sweeps up towards the heavens to the very throne of grace, and returns to earth with the message of peace. And before I comment on that, um, I can read... The quote of one of his biographers, and cited at the end of the chapter um, Bruckner may be the lay apostle who, with his work, which projects the divine idea into the world in its purest form, may touch the hearts of those whose ears are closed to the preaching of the churches. He can become the mediator leading from materialism to spirituality, from disbelief to true religion. It, and there's just so much in that. And the reason I believe God did not allow Bruckner to complete the symphony number no. nine is because the adagio, it's unprecedented in music, because it it has this, this climax towards the end of the movement where the entire orchestra just just crows a dissonant chord um just utter cacophony utter chaos um and still so instead of the music building up in tension and having that tension released as is common as is typical in music there's just this inevitability that leads to this, this cry of, of help, right? This scream, um, it will save
0: me from this body of death.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's a really good way to put it. Um, and so there's this climax and the music comes to a silence. It comes to a halt. Um, but then somehow, um, the music quietly finds its way back. and and the ending—it's really indescribable. But Bruckner quotes um, a couple melodies from his earlier works, um, but it's just two minutes of of peace. Um, and wow. I like how this biographer emphasizes peace because um, you know we talked about that restlessness of heart that everyone has, whether they like to acknowledge it or not. And jesus says um in his farewell discourse in the gospel of john my peace i bring to you i do not give as the world gives right amen, amen. and it's i just feel like um god communicated to me through this music um through the music um, that was written by Bruckner towards the yeah. end of his life, that was written by a servant of God um, mm-hmm. who knew that he had fought the good fight, yeah. he had finished the race, right? He had mm-hmm. the crown of glory waiting for him. Um, when Jesus was finally gonna embrace him, he had that peace waiting for him, Amen. right? I think yeah. that God certainly used that music yeah. to communicate um, his peace. And I love the quote at the end too, Because at the time, I was just this atheist who saw myself as intellectually superior to everyone. (laughs) Um, I was was a very, very prideful person. I saw myself as intellectually superior to everyone. Praise be to God that I don't anymore. Um, But I wasn't going to listen to anyone from the churches, right? Um, I think I was far, far beyond that due to my pride, um, and so God did not use a pastor or an evangelist initially to communicate the divine truth, um, the divine idea to me, um, but instead he used Anton Bruckner, um, his servant, as, as a mediator. Um, and so after I put down that book, um, I wasn't convinced at all that God existed, right? Because five minutes ago, I was just thinking about how stupid it was that Bruckner believed in God. I was like, that's so cute, but (laughs) I actually tried to reason my way out of his belief in God, right? I thought that it was due to his obedient and obsequious nature that he believed in God, that he wanted to have this imaginary, (sighs) to say it crudely, but this is what I was thinking, sky daddy in authority, Mm -hmm. right? I thought it was because of his nature that he believed in God. But then something very strange happened, right? Something that I wasn't, um, willing to consciously acknowledge. So I put down the book and I I take out my journal expecting just to journal as I normally did, but then I wrote, I believe in God almighty and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just didn't know what to do with that. Um, because on an intellectual level, I did not. Right. Mm -hmm. I was just scoffing at God. I, I didn't believe in God. Um, so again, I, I I didn't know what to do with what I just wrote. Um, and so a couple days passed by and I can't exactly get over what, what happened. Right um and no matter how much i tried to question it i i just couldn't right um i even have a recording of myself saying that a few days after that experience happened i I used to take recordings of myself as like little video diaries but i i just couldn't question that which was so strange because I, I was about to be diagnosed with this, with a disorder. I was suffering from a disorder where you literally question every fabric of your being. Um, Mm -hmm. and yet when I thought about this idea that God had existed, an idea that I had rejected my entire life, all that I could feel was this inexplicable sense of peace. I, I couldn't question or deny that God existed, even though I literally had an anxiety disorder um, that makes you question everything, right? That makes you ruminate and and pick apart everything. I couldn't pick this apart. Um, And so I had knowledge that God existed. And so um, I was really into, I guess, conservative politics at the time. I loved politics. And so one of my favorite... um, like talk show host, Andrew Clavin, he recommended that everyone read the gospel of Luke, right? Not exactly because he wanted people to become Christians, but because he believed that it was sort of a foundational text, I suppose, to Western civilization, right? Um, I think conservatism and classics, they, they sort of go hand in hand nowadays, but mm-hmm. um, apart from that little excursus, um I read the Gospel of Luke. I'm like, yeah, I've never read this before but I, I guess Let's I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I'll just give it a shot. Um I had to listen to it a couple of times, listen to it through audiobook a couple of times before I even really understood what was going on, right? I didn't understood what a Pharisee was. I, I didn't understood Stand what the Son of Man was. I didn't understand all of the Jewish tradition traditions that um, would have been understood by the original audience. Um, but as I started to read it more and more, um, one thing stood out to me um, is that the gospel seemed to be depicting a human without human nature. And that was very, very fascinating to me, particularly in the instance where Pilate was like, Jesus, like, what are you doing? I have the power to let you go, and yet you're just silent. Well, what are you doing? Um, because what what human in that circumstance um, could ever muster such a response? I, I don't know. Um, and interestingly, I was not the only one to notice that it says in isaiah 53 um that like a sheep led to slaughter or like a lamb who was silent before his shears he opened not his mouth i think the verse starts with he was oppressed and he was afflicted and he opened not his mouth right
2: yeah
1: um And the phrase he opened, not his mouth is actually repeated at the end of each statement, right? Kind of that parallelism you see in, in Hebrew poetry. And so it's so fascinating that what the Holy spirit, um, led me to, to notice about Jesus, um, that was prophesied, um, hundreds of years ago, um, by the prophet Isaiah, right. And that's fascinating. So that was the first thing I noticed as I read scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I didn't stop at at the gospel of Luke in, in my search for truth, in my search to explain why I, I suddenly believed that there was a God, even though it seemed to defy everything I thought at an intellectual level. Um, I also read the rest of the new Testament. Right. And I, I noticed another motif, um. That we are dead in our sins, right? Saint Paul says
0: Ephesians two
1: one. Yeah, in Ephesians two, like or even Romans seven, when when the law came, I I died, died right? Yeah. You were dead in your trespasses in which you once walked, right? Yeah. Um and so so many other instances, Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death, right? Right. Um and I didn't know theology at the time, so I didn't know that mortality was actually a punishment in the Garden of Eden for sin. Um, but, but one thing was, w- was made clear to me, right? It wasn't that God hadn't made it clear to not only me, but all of us that He existed. Um, it's that my sin was the cause of me separating myself from the Savior I had seen on the pages, and the Savior I had come to adore, on those pages, right? It, it, it was was the sin causing me to um, relentlessly pursue things of the world, hoping that I would find satisfaction, um, but it only leads to this numbness, um, this dissatisfaction, that this deadness inside, right? Um, and I've always find it interesting that in Romans chapter one, Saint Paul says that it is by our unrighteousness that we suppress the truth about god for what can be known about god is clear to us because or clear to them or clear to us because god has shown it to us his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature yeah. have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made Amen. so they were worth were excuse We, we know God, but we don't give thanks to him or glorify him as God. Um, and so I think St. Paul is, is painting a picture of humanity that, that sees God, right? That, that sees the evidence that there must be something behind this, this beautiful earth that has been created. Right. Um. You know, Mm -hmm. we can get into the arguments for God existence, but St. Paul is painting a picture of humans who know that God exists, but because sin infects our reason, we suppress the truth about God, right? It is only when we suppress the truth about God by our unrighteousness, by our sin, um, that our hearts are darkened and we turn to worldviews like atheism we turn to idolatry worshiping the creature as Saint Paul continues to say instead of the creator and so I think what I realized at that time you know it atheism did not come from my superior reasoning skills um, because who's really to say that I don't know David Hume is correct The materialists are correct rather than, I don't know, Aquinas or Anselm or Descartes, or like Descartes' ontological argument. What I'm saying, I I don't necessarily think um, that it's our our intellect alone that causes atheism. Um, It's our sin um, perverting our reasoning. We know that that sin perverts every aspect of our human nature, including our reasoning. Um, so I suppressed the truth about God. But then once once I realized um, that I had, I had spent every moment of my life living for myself, um, and that sin was the real reason that I had isolated myself um, from my Savior, um, I, I just didn't want anything to do with it, my um, sin anymore. It was like that moment, you know, that St. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life right Mm -hmm. um and so you know faith comes from hearing hearing from the word of god says in romans chapter 10 and you know um at that at that moment i was reconciled and that um tension that augustine talks about um was finally was finally expelled in me
0: how fantastic And this is uh, the kind of testimony that I love to hear because this is not about any kind of self-aggrandizement. This is really giving glory to God, giving glory to his word that found you and uh, his work upon you. Uh, It's also exquisitely complimentary to the revelation we have in Holy Scripture. We we don't have to receive the gospel from a pastor or an evangelist um, necessarily uh, though God does send pastors and evangelists out to preach and to reach people, but God's overarching plan is for the the royal priesthood, the Christians, to go out into the world as scientists, as engineers, as composers, <laughs> and to do what they do to touch other people with the word of God through their special um, spe- their specializations in their field. And you encountered such a royal priest. Mm-hmm you encountered one who was putting the word into his work Mm -hmm. and he testified to his living faith. And so God worked through him. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is what we mean by the means of grace, his word working through his people in various ways. Mm -hmm. And so the word of God came to you. And then as I followed your testimony, you inherently made a distinction between, uh, even while you were maintaining an intellectual position when you you opened up your journal and you wrote what you wrote,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's like you were testifying in, in, in just a wonderful way. The difference between um, natural knowledge that may lead to a natural position or intellectual position and special knowledge, mm-hmm. an insider's knowledge, yes. a, it's, it's distinct. There's a different kind of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And when we describe faith, it's not that it's devoid of knowledge, but the knowledge it's connected to is a special knowledge Mm -hmm. and a special volition that brings an acceptance to God, even while our natural intellect may militate against it. And ultimately a trust on this side of the ledger, speaking about special knowledge over here, Special yeah. revelation leading to special knowledge, or also what we call faith, yeah. and natural knowledge resting on the natural intellect that can lead to different world views. And you're describing this as part of your conversion process. Mm-hmm. But just so we all know, this uh, dichotomy doesn't fade away after you're converted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's always there. It's yeah. always there. And, and this is why Paul teaches about the old man and the new man, mm-hmm. as he does in, in Romans 7 and Galatians 5. Yeah. Um, but I, I love how your testimony includes both. And and the world doesn't like that. It's not neat enough. It's like, well, come on, what was your position? You're either here or there. And you're like, yeah. yeah. Um, but God had brought, was bringing you into faith, even in the midst of the intellectual tradition you had held to at the time. hmm And as it advanced, then you went to the gospel of Luke. Yeah. And uh, as you're describing Luke, I mean, I'm getting all excited at this point, too. And, (laughs) you know, this is uh, also the gospel that's known for um, depicting the Lord Jesus Christ's universal compassion. Yeah. Touching children, women, Mm -hmm. uh, crippled, lepers, Gentiles, Jews, everybody. Everybody. And... He is fully human and yet unlike Mm -hmm. any other human and what you Mm -hmm. led us to in terms of his, that moment before Mm Pilate, he was silent.
2: Yeah.
0: He was unafraid, he was trusting in the heavenly father. Mm -hmm. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yes. And for us to read that, we realize we're encountering something uncanny. Mm
2: -hmm. It's
0: something that we can't imagine any other human being doing as you were saying.
2: Yeah.
0: And so you were further drawn to Jesus Christ. Yes. And so this this faith that God had given you was growing. You still have that intellect at the same time. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And much of it now is what we might refer to as a sanctified intellect that also Mm -hmm. corresponds to your faith.
2: Absolutely.
0: Why is your faith, why is our faith not anti-intellectual?
1: Yeah, well, for many reasons. I think of the entire discipline of theology, right? Theos and logos, words um, about God, right? Um, And so... That's theology.
0: She just broke down theology for us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so when we study theology as an academic discipline, we are using our intellect to get to know the creator of the universe um and so when we think of faith we often do think of um a relationship Mm -hmm. but just as for example in a marriage when you're in love with someone you want to know every single thing about them right yes you're you're hungry you're thirsty for knowledge about them right yes you when you're in a marriage, it's essential that, that, you know, your spouse so that you're better able to love and support them. Um, similarly, when you're in a relationship with God through faith, it it cannot be devoid of knowledge because how can you say you have faith in a God yet, yet you don't know the first thing about this being right. Yeah. God, although there's a certain hiddenness, um, to him, You know, he wants us to know about him because he he has desired from the very beginning to be in relationship with his creatures. Um, And so, therefore, I I cannot um, separate faith um, from theology, from wanting to know about the attributes of God. how he works in this world, um, even philosophical arguments for God's existence. Because for me, um, it is simply about strengthening my love um, for the supreme being in the universe, right? It, it, it stems from, from love, and faith and love are just inseparable, right? Amen. Um, you just want to know about God um, because you love him.
0: Amen. I love your analogy, by the way, of marriage. Mm-hmm. That's a great analogy. I couldn't agree with you more. The uh, early Lutheran fathers, theologians, would, would talk about the various aspects of faith, and not levels of faith, but aspects of the one and only faith, including our notitia, census, and fiducia. There's, there's real knowledge, mm-hmm. there's real volition, an act of volition, and there's a real trust, in the heart and they're not contradictory they're complementary they all exist together to form one singular faith which always combines the intellect Mm -hmm. so in your opinion how just how far-fetched is this incarnation business that god (laughs) would take on flesh
1: yeah well the wisdom of god is just foolishness to the world so I suppose it depends on who you ask. Um, Mm, mm. And, you know, outwardly it just seems impossible, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But even when you look at God's compassion for his people in the Old Testament, I was recently in the book of Hosea, um, and and God just, you know, speaking of marriage. Yeah, right. Like that, that whole metaphor. (laughs) That um, he says, like, how can I give you up, O Israel? How can I give you up, O Ephraim? Yeah. Right? God has this this intense love for us. Similarly in, in Isaiah, right? Even mm-hmm. if a mother were to abandon her mur- nursing child, like even if that were possible, mm-hmm. um, I would not um, abandon you. And so we, we see that God desires this. Intimate closeness to his people, um, yeah. and that's fulfilled um, in the in the incarnation, right? Um, because you know, when God becomes flesh, it, it's not to say that God the Father, who was spirit, um, experienced everything that we do, um, mm-hmm. but but Jesus. Miraculously, lived a distinctly human life, Amen. right? The, Absolutely. The word became flesh, flesh and, dwelt among, and us. dwelt among us. Yeah. Um, and, and and for God to do that, right? It's it's the miracle of miracles. Um, it's yeah. something that's um, beyond our comprehension, and yet we can also see it as a natural extension of His character, right? Yes. Um, to desire to be near us, yes, right.
0: That's um, elegant and logical at the same time, and I, you know, you're you're right. Depending on who you ask, you're going to get different answers always. But this is something that we certainly believe. Teaching confess is a miracle, and that means, among other things, it's hard for us to believe. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that there isn't anything in atheism that is hard to believe. <laughs>
2: It's certainly
0: certainly not to say that atheism doesn't hold certain tenets that cannot be Mm. evidenced or demonstrated. You need a certain amount of faith to perpetuate atheism, Mm -hmm. to stick to the claim that the universe just is a brute fact. And in spite of the law of cause and effect, Mm -hmm. here's an exception. It's a grand one. And you just should believe it. You should have faith in that. Yeah. And and in that respect, Christianity in that respect isn't any different. Uh, mm-hmm. We're also, we have a lot of objectivity going on, a lot of logic going on, a lot of intellect mm-hmm. going on in our position, but it is a faith position. And I guess both of them are at the end of the day, but yeah. we say, which one? L- let's check out the credentials now. And, <laughs> and our God is the one who did what he did for you. Mm-hmm. And his word had this inexplicable effect upon you right and we read about this all the time in the holy scriptures mm-hmm. so i'm i'm just excited about what you've shared with us today now mm-hmm. did did you when did you find yourself actually attending a christian church what, how did you take that step
1: <laughs> yeah again never in a million years <laughs> would i have thought that i would go to a church but yeah you know, so obviously I came to faith in Christ, um, this, this summer, shortly before my second year at my local community college. And, um, there was a local church that actually had students, um, evangelizing. Um, and so I was like, Oh my gosh, a couple, a couple brothers and sisters in Christ there. Mm -hmm. And so I just went up to them because I knew that I had to, find a church right Wow. (laughs) i don't think i quite understood right the significance that we are yet a limb within the body of christ um Mm -hmm. that it's essential for um us to be a part of a visible church but there was something in me that knew like okay Hey, you can't just like do the spirituality thing on your own and just keep it in your mind, right? Yeah. Y- you got to go out. And so I sort of just voluntarily like, "Hey, wow. can I come to to your college ministry?" Wow. Um
0: So no one like told you to go to church, no. <laughs> but this is intuitive. You was like, "You know, yeah. this is this feels right and I'm supposed to be drawn to other Christians." Mhm. So you asked if you could attend. Yeah. And you did.
1: I did. Yeah. It was scary because yeah. at that time my parents weren't really aware <laughs> that I had come to faith in Christ. I didn't think that they would be like angry. Yeah, I just thought that they would be shocked. And so <laughs> I didn't want to share. And so here's me, right? This girl who, who can drive by herself. And even if she could, I don't like to go places without my parents <laughs> knowing. Right. I had to ask. To be driven to to a church, right? Wow! And like we hadn't been to church in years, so right. this it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. Wow! And so yeah. that that was like a very scary step,
0: especially from their perspective. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what was going through their minds, but um, they were very very gracious. Yeah. Um. It wasn't as difficult as I had made it out to be. How wonderful! Yeah. Um,
0: says a lot about your parents again. Yeah. Very loving, very yeah. supportive.
1: Very Loving, very supportive. Yeah, most certainly. And I'm, I'm so, so grateful to that. Yeah. So I just started attending um, the local church. Yeah. Um,
0: and recently, you've been coming to St. Paul's. Yeah. We're so thrilled to have you.
1: Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here.
0: Wow. You had quoted a text from um, Romans uh, 1 mm-hmm. that I was going to mention, yeah. um, Romans one eighteen, mm-hmm. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness mm-hmm. and unrighteousness of men who in their unrighteousness mm-hmm. suppress the truth. And you were bringing out how we can understand that suppression, mm-hmm. um, isn't it? quite pervasive in our culture today, the suppression. It's like, and Mm -hmm. I I love the way you were describing it because everybody knows in a way that there is a God. Yeah. But I'm going to suppress it. Mm -hmm. And I picture being in a swimming pool with one of those big beach balls And you press that guy down and it's kinda hard because you know it's big Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it's displacing a lot of water as you're pressing it down. You kinda have to hold it down, you have to try to hold it down, but Mm -hmm. look, it's gone. (laughs) There's no beach ball.
1: Right. There's no God. Right.
0: But all the while you're suppressing it.
1: Absolutely.
0: And this seems to be just a pandemic of this suppression.
1: It is.
0: What do you think we should do about that, Catherine?
1: (laughs) You know, it's it's rather strange, and I've been thinking a lot about this. And recently, my dad actually shared with me a song from the 1970s. Um, obviously, that countercultural hippie movement was taking place. That I think is reflective of what we do in this culture, and it's incredibly fascinating because it's called "One of Us," right? Says, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us?
2: I remember just the a, song.
1: Just a stranger on the bus. Yeah. Um, but then the the second verse or the second stanza, it says, "Well, if God had a face, would you want to see? Mm-hmm. And would you want to see if seeing meant you would have to believe in things like Jesus and God and heaven and the saints and all the prophets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many." Um, paradoxes in this song um that we can get to um but the thing is that in a sense this song conveys a lot of truth that god actually did become one of us he wasn't um a slob in the sense that he he has a sin nature um but but he was an infant in an animal feeding trough, right? Yeah. A stranger on the bus. Well, he was spurned yeah. even by his own family, right?
0: Right. Despised by men. Right. Yeah.
1: And, and, and so I I don't know yeah. exactly um, how to take on the culture. Yeah. Um, but really um, presenting the gospel, in a holistic way right Amen. if we focus too much on the the nearness of god and in mm-hmm. the incarnation and the attributes that jesus christ in his humanity by emptying himself by taking on the likeness of a human not that he wasn't fully human that would be a heresy but <laughs> mm-hmm. um so we we should absolutely emphasize um the Incarnation, um, because as St. Paul says also to the Areopagus, God is not far from either one of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also um, very, very important that we um, also give light to the fact that um, God, um, though he is holy, right, Mm -hmm. I think as I'm trying to think about this, the, the incarnation is both an example of God's nearness and his distance. His distance because the only reason why the incarnation is necessary is because of God's holiness. You know, Hebrews 2.17, he had to be made like us in every Amen. way in order to serve as a merciful high priest, right? Amen. Um, and the reason why Jesus is not merely a human being but, um, God, you know, I think Dr. Steve parks, one of my professors told us it's because, um, you know, in order to give us perfect righteousness, in order to give us life, in order for us to have life in him, well, only God, no one is good, but God alone. Right. right. Only God has that righteousness. Only God has that life. Um, and so, um, we
0: love Dr. Steve parks, we love by the way, Dr.
2: Parks and yeah. if.
0: Dr. Steve Parks is watching this. I love you too. <laughs> oh, I
2: yeah.
0: had the privilege of catechizing that man and I love him dearly. He yeah. He's a church son. Absolutely. That, that's very well said. I know I put you on the spot on that last question. Yeah. And the, the reason I did, I was I wanting this opportunity to say to all the Christians watching that we are called to perpetuate that incarnationalism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. The Lord Jesus who took on flesh who is the light of the world has shown his light upon us. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about this in a recent book, and in that in that book now he is in his people, he is in his Christians, mm-hmm. and he's still incarnational. He mm-hmm. is still coming to us in real life. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that atheists need are Christians who are you know drawing a line of demarcation yeah. and being argumentative and saying you're wrong, I'm right, uh-huh. and but people who like Jesus Christ will enter the lives of people who don't think the same way, who don't yeah. have the same worldview, who show the love of God. And for those who are leaning towards more of the intellectual atheism, who will certainly speak to people about their concerns intellectually, mm-hmm. but will be different from the rest of the world to say, I care about you.
2: Yeah.
0: I want to be here. I want to befriend you. Uh, Jesus was always Mm -hmm. sitting down having meals with people who, uh, you know, the Jews were somewhat upset about. Like, why are you eating with those people? Mm -hmm. And for those uh, atheists that are more on the side of the emotional spectrum because they've been hurt, Mm -hmm. we can empathize. We can weep with those who weep. And again, bring that incarnational presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Just as you were drawn to brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters in Christ on campus, you just intuitively knew that this was something you should do now that you knew Jesus as your savior. Mm -hmm. Christians should be intuitively drawn towards atheists and befriend atheists who are loved by God just as much as we are Mm -hmm. for whom Jesus died just as much as he did for us, Mm -hmm. and for whom Jesus is calling to know him as he continues to call us on a daily basis to know him. To be the composers and the scientists and the athletes who will enter into life and touch people that many pastors and evangelists can never touch. Mm -hmm. But that's okay because we are the royal priesthood. Mm -hmm. So now with your experience, having come out of atheism and discovered the things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm that you know, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I know, I'm sure you're praying, thy will be done. Absolutely. But what are your interests, just out of curiosity?
1: Um, what are my interests? <laughs> um, well, certainly in apologetics, because I, I do wish I could have answered that question. But I think yeah. what I was trying to to get at yeah. is, you know don't remember if it was St. Paul or St. Peter who said this, but let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Christianity is, is more than a reasonable worldview. Um, it's the lion of worldviews Mm. and that's why, um, we don't have to shy away from sharing the miracle of the incarnation. Right. We don't have to shy away from giving a holistic view of the gospel, which is, um, you know, mm-hmm. both law and gospel, right? Yeah. Presenting that um, to people. Amen. Right. Um, and as as we do this, right? Yeah. You know, even as we learn in high school, right? Ethos, pathos, logos, right? Yeah. Um, we wear, we put on Christ and thus have Amen. the ethos, right? We bring yeah. credibility um, mm-hmm. to what we are saying. To our logos, to our reasonableness, Amen. In um, our actions, right? Yes. We we want people to look at us yeah. um, and ask themselves, "How is this person so?" loving how is this person so joyful what is the source of this person's peace in the midst of tribulation right Mm. i'm sure the the people um in the jail in philippi the philippian jailer were thinking that about paul and silas like what are you guys doing joyfully praying and and singing hymns right y'all just got beaten and you're in jail
0: you were beaten (laughs) you're dragged off to jail yeah your 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 legs are in the stocks, mm-hmm. and at midnight you're singing praises to God. What's up with these people? Right. What's going on? Right. It's reminiscent of Peter in first, and it was it's Paul who was talking about let let your reasonable
2: mm-hmm.
0: reasonableness be na- made known to all, for the Lord is near. Mm-hmm. But it's Peter who says, uh, "Yet honor Christ the Lord in your heart as holy, and always be prepared to give an answer for the hope mm-hmm. that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, mm-hmm. because as the world is." stressed out dealing with all the stuff we have to deal with in this Mm -hmm. life. Christians stand out right? because we have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, even the midst of the tribulation of the world.
2: Absolutely.
0: But the only way people who are without Christ are ever going to notice is we have to be there with them.
2: Yeah. We have
0: to be alongside of them. We should be having lunch with them and loving them because Mm -hmm. Jesus loves them too. I have a suggestion for you to consider. I think that as you are an active student at Concordia University, Irvine, you should Mm -hmm. talk to the professors and the dean there uh, at Christ College and talk to them about starting a master's program in Christian apologetics at Concordia University, Irvine. So then that's something perhaps you could help us develop there.
2: Yeah.
0: Wouldn't that be something? Yeah,
1: wouldn't that be something? Yeah,
0: yeah, just a thought. Just a thought. You never know what I'm gonna say on this show. Yeah. Catherine, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. This has been a sheer delight. Mm-hmm. We have loved having you. We hope you'll come back. We'll find another reason. Maybe talk about apologetics. <laughs> get the others yes. here. Yes. But we want to thank everyone for joining us here on Light of the World. Um, we pray that during this Advent Christmas season that you're able to soak in the Word of God and how much He loves you, why He came and to know again that peace of God which surpasses all understanding. So for now, the Lord be with you, and thanks again for joining us on Light of the World.